you're damn right I left Texas. And I'm glad I did. <laughs> she sounds like you, Desi Doyen. <laughs> Just saying. Well, I don't know why I came here tonight. I got the feeling that something ain't right. No, I'm so scared in case I fall off my chair. And I'm wondering how I'll get down the stairs. Clowns to the left of me, jokers to the right. Here I am, stuck in the middle with you. I am. From Pacifica Radio in Los Angeles, this is the broadcast as heard on KPFK 90.7 FM in LA. Also in Red Bluff and Redding on KFOI. Round Mountains KKRN and Eureka's KGOE up in Oregon on the Central Coast on KYAQ, Cottage Grove's KSO, Eugene's KEPW, Lancaster, Pennsylvania's WLRI, Maui, Hawaii's KAKU, Columbus, Ohio's WGRN, Palinville, New York's WLPP, Rochester, New York's WRFZ, down in New Orleans on WHIV, out in Gallup, New Mexico on KNIZ, Concord, New Hampshire's WNHN, Fayetteville, Arkansas's KPSQ, Seattle's KODX, Janesville, Wisconsin's WADR, and Minneapolis, St. Paul's AM950 KTNF. We also stream coast-to-coast and around the globe every day on the internets on the Progressive Voices channel. Netroots Radio, Radio for Humans, FYI Nation, NicoleSandler.com, Radio Free Brooklyn, Workforce Rising, No Lies Radio, Verdant Square Radio, and Detour Talk, Blanketing Planet Earth, five days a week. I'm Brad Friedman, your friendly investigative blogger, journalist, troublemaker, muckraker, all-around swell fellow, says me, from bradblog.com. Thank you very much for joining us today. Uh, okay, well, we I have a few... You, but, uh, I got The president has screwed up this entire show all over again, <laughs> Desi Doyen. I, I thought it was just President Trump who used to do that. Well, President Biden is doing that as well. We will get to his remarks about uh, coronavirus and vaccinations shortly. But I mean, I've got, at least he had a good reason. No, this was a good reason. Yeah, this is not a horrible thing. It is sort of a horrible thing. But anyway, we'll get there. <laughs> I got a few updates I got to get to today uh, now as quickly as I can. Uh, following our previous broadcast, uh, some new information that came in from at least one of the stories that we covered as it seems to go these days, not long after we got off air. <laughs> Let's start with uh, the news out of Arizona and the Cyber Ninjas still ongoing audit theater nonsense, uh, hoping to raise questions about the results from the 2020 election in Maricopa County in the state where the Republican governor, Doug Ducey, certified Joe Biden's 10,400 vote win over Donald Trump last year. So yesterday... Uh, we had our friend, longtime election integrity advocate, post-election audit expert, and the always very colorful <laughs> and always very progressive John Brakey of Audit USA uh, back on the show. He has been inside the Arizona audit from the jump. He's been serving as the right-hand man of sorts to Arizona's Republican Former Secretary of State Ken Bennett, he has uh, Bennett was tapped by the state GOP Senate to serve as their liaison for the audit, sort of overseeing the whole thing that is being carried out by the contractors named Cyber Ninjas, who, in addition to being led by a right wing QAnon conspiracy theory dude named Doug Logan, 
also have no experience whatsoever in elections, in voting systems, or even in audits, which has become wildly transparent to anyone paying attention. In fact, that is pretty much the only thing that is transparent (laughs) about the Arizona audit at this point, uh, because we really know next to nothing about what they have found, what they have done, because it has been carried out in secret for about four months. Thus, John Brakey's insider view is invaluable to us. You probably uh, knew of John Brakey as the guy uh, who was taken out of context by national media when he explained that the cyber ninjas were looking for bamboo in the hand-marked paper ballots because they thought it would prove their theory that tens of thousands of ballots were secretly stuffed into the box, somehow by China. Brakey, uh, as the full interview uh, with him revealed, did not believe any of that nonsense. He was simply explaining what Doug Logan, or Duganon, as John now refers to him, uh, and the cyber ninjas and all of the grifters picking the pockets of Trump supporters who are sending millions of dollars to fund this phony audit, uh, what they were up to. Well, last Friday, as we discussed yesterday, the GOP's Senate liaison, uh, Ken Bennett, had been locked out of the building entirely, largely because he's not insane or a grifter, and he was checking some of the apparently inaccurate numbers produced by the ninjas with actual election audit experts. So, of course, he was shut out of the process entirely. And yesterday, as Brakey confirmed on this show, as did the Arizona Republic around the same time and several other media outlets, Bennett decided to resign as liaison because, you know, he was locked out of it. Nonetheless, shortly after we got off air, John gave me a call to say, hey, wait, Ken Bennett had just met with the state Senate president, Karen Fan. She's the one who had hired him. She's the one uh, who's really behind all of this nonsense. And that Bennett and Fan had reached uh, an accommodation of sorts and that Bennett would be staying with the so-called audit as liaison after all. And that an announcement on all of this would be forthcoming in the next 36 hours or so. So the public exposure going public and letting the press know about it. Wow, look how that changed things when you're transparent about stuff. It seems like it might have. Uh, Here is ABC 15 from Arizona. Ken Bennett, the state Senate liaison in charge of overseeing the audit of the Maricopa County 2020 presidential election results, will no longer be resigning from his position despite telling a radio station that he intended to resign earlier Wednesday, which is which, of course, is one of the reasons I was pressing Brakey so hard on this issue. Bennett had had said that he was going to, uh, you know, publicly, he said he was going to resign, but he didn't say that he had. So my spidey sense as I was talking to John, as I think I made clear with with John yesterday, uh, my spidey sense was telling me, that he was still going to try to work things out somehow with uh, Senator Fan, and and now, sure enough, he has, at least for now. Bennett has since reportedly reached an agreement with Fan to continue the position after saying Wednesday morning that he would not just be a, quote, rubber stamp for the audit report. ABC 15 confirms the relationship between cyber ninjas and Bennett has uh, been testy at times. Bennett has said uh, that the cyber ninjas refused to share key information with him. For example, the ninjas did not provide ballot count totals comparing the audit's results 
to those of the Maricopa County Elections Department. That would be the original ballot count. So the thing that he was overseeing, they weren't even telling him what it was they were finding. And then last Friday, Bennett was blocked from entering the audit site altogether after it was revealed that Bennett had provided 24 boxes of machine counted ballots from the audit. Now, these would actually be the third count that we talked about yesterday, a count just of the number of ballots. The first count was the original uh, results counted by the uh, by the county. Then the ninjas did a hand count. And now those numbers apparently do not match up with the originals. So they are doing a third count of just the number of ballots. That's the information that Bennett appears to have shared with some actual experts in auditing. That would be uh, Larry Moore, the former CEO of Clear Ballot, uh, an election technology company that does audits. Uh, and Moore told ABC 15, quote, we found of the 24 boxes sent, 20 had perfect matches. In fact, Moore said the third count numbers and the counties matched 99.9% of the time. He said if you extrapolate that to the uh, full count, it would only be off by 124 ballots. On Monday, Bennett told the right-wing talk show, a right-wing talk show host, quote, I cannot be part of a process that I am left out of critical aspects along the way and make the audit legitimate and have integrity when we produce the final report. That was leading up to his resignation and then to his unresignation, apparently, on Wednesday. Moreover, ABC 15 also reports this past week that two Republican state senators. Now, remember, it's the Republican state Senate that started all of this nonsense. Now, two GOP state senators say that the entire audit was botched and they're blaming it on their colleague, the Senate president, Karen Fan. Scottsdale State Senator Michelle Eugenti Rita of Scottsdale, uh, who is, is clearly a hard right winger dead ender here. She tweeted this week in a thread, quote, I've been on the front lines of the battle for election integrity over the last 10 years. I wrote the law banning ballot harvesting, cleaned up our mail in voter rolls, strengthened I.D. requirements, just to name a few of my accomplishments. All obviously hard right wing accomplishments, but never mind that for now. She said, I'll put my record of fighting for election integrity up against anyone. Really, Senator? Even mine? <laughs> but I digress again. She says, there is too much at stake. Our election system is under constant assault by the left. <laughs> And says the same holds true for the audit. I supported the audit, but I do not support the Trump audit any longer, she says. I wanted to review our election processes and see what, if anything, could be improved. Sadly, it's now become clear that the audit has been botched. The total lack of confident competence by Senator Karen Fan over the last five months has deprived the voters of Arizona of a comprehensive accounting of the 2020 election. That's a Republican state senator going against the Republican state Senate president 
saying that she has botched the job and failed over the past five months. Well, she's not wrong. State Senator Paul Bo- uh, Boyer. Well, listen, when I post yesterday's show, you know, I said that this uh, audit was coming apart at the fraudulent seams. Mm-hmm. And boy, howdy is it. S- State Senator Paul Boyer of Glendale said, I would agree. It has been botched. Boyer said at the outset he supported the audit, but he cannot now. Quote, a comprehensive review. We were all fine with that. We just didn't think it would be done by a firm that didn't have a clue of what they were doing. That they were partisan with a preordained idea going into what they were going to come up with. Where have I heard that before? Perhaps I should see if uh, Senator Boyer wants to uh, fill in as guest host on the broadcast. (laughs) He sounds perfect. Uh, he told uh, azcentral.com he uh, he did the uh, I'm sorry Bennett told azcentral.com he did the outside review to uh, the one that got him locked out last week out of curiosity he said it's premature to draw any conclusions from it still ABC 15 notes it's a result that after Saturday's visit by Donald Trump to Phoenix in which he lied about one thing after another regarding the audit, claiming they had found thousands, tens of thousands of fraudulent ballots, when in fact they have found none, at least to anyone's knowledge, it, it, the, uh, this is the result of the cyber ninjas and the Republicans pushing stop the steal stuff that they do not want to hear. They do not want to hear from Bennett's experts that, yeah, the county got it right in the first place. Senator Boyer, again, an Arizona Republican senator who approved of this nonsense originally said, quote, you don't like the third result. We'll go with the fourth result. When they don't like that, they'll come up with a fifth. Again, they are trying to come up with their own preconceived notion of what they want to come up with. They don't know what they're doing, he said. You are hired, Senator. Meanwhile, <laughs> the auditors have said that they should complete their work at the, fair, at the state fairgrounds this week. But we will see. John Brakey told me after, the, uh, after yesterday's show that one of the things that Bennett was actually fighting for with Fan was yet another review of the ballot. He referenced some of this yesterday. This this is a review of the digital ballot images. Those are the photos, essentially, of the ballot. Uh, They're taken by the computer scanners when they're initially counted. Our friend Ray Lutz, a ballot image counting expert, uh, he has also been on this show to talk about what's going on in the Arizona audit. He's been hoping to get copies of those ballot images and they can make them, you know, free to anyone. They're just digital uh, copies. They've made them free now by law in the state of Georgia, for example. He's been trying to get a copy of those ballot images from the county for months, but the ninjas have been blocking that effort, likely because they know that it will show that the original tally was largely accurate. Brakey says that Bennett is still pushing Fan to allow for that review by Ray Lutz of those digital ballot images. We'll see if it ever happens. And if so, we will, of course, have Ray on the show to tell us exactly what his ballot image review found. No secrets there. Ray has said he would not agree to conduct such an audit if it was required that he keep the process and the results a secret. And now, despite the disastrous goings on in Arizona, a bunch of Republicans are looking at doing the same thing all over the country because they are insane, I guess. And they're saying, yeah, we want that for our state 
as well, because it's going so well in Arizona. Because naturally, they are insane. And, of course, they see that the grifters in Arizona are raising millions of dollars on this con. But on Wednesday, the U.S. Justice Department attempted to apply some breaks here. Uh, they're putting states on notice about their obligations under federal law as uh, GOP-led efforts to conduct reviews of the 2020 election intensify across the country. On Wednesday, federal authorities issued a pair of new guidance documents to states and voters to remind them of their responsibilities and their rights. This is part of Biden's by uh, the Biden administration's push to demonstrate and perhaps to answer critics who say they have not done enough to demonstrate that they are on guard amid these new voting restrictions being proposed and enacted by Republican-led states across the nation and as Democratic-led federal voting legislation has now stalled, at least for the moment, in Congress. A Justice Department official told NPR, we are keeping a close eye on what's going on around the country. If they're going to conduct these so-called audits, they have to comply with federal law. Among the guidance documents that uh, they released on Wednesday, one makes clear that states are required to preserve election materials such as ballots without damage or destruction for 22 months following a federal election. That is, of course, a heightened concern for U.S. authorities after the Arizona lawmakers hired this private contractor with no election experience to perform this review, gave them 2.1 million ballots that they can pretty much do anything they want with at this point. Not legally, but that's the concern. If there are questions, if the uh, if the ninjas come out and say our count has proven that Donald Trump actually won the state of Arizona, well, we can't go back and count the ballots at this point because Lord knows what the ninjas actually did to them. That's why election officials are supposed to have control of that material for 22 months under federal law. Now, the, uh, there was a letter sent by the uh, Civil Rights Division some months ago to Arizona about exactly that, and uh, a sternly worded letter. And, of course, uh, at the time, that did seem to put the brakes on plans that the ninjas had to actually go door to door and ask people how they voted. So uh, that put the brakes on that. But Duganon Logan is apparently <laughs> trying to do that again, even now. Whether that will be stopped by this, I don't want to call it a threat. We'll call it guidance from the uh, uh, from the Justice Department remains to be seen. They are also explaining uh, the rights that voters have under uh, federal law. As these uh, laws are passed now by Republicans all over the country. And 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 they're promising essentially to take federal action if anything violates the landmark Federal Voting Rights Act from 1965. That said, earlier this month, the U.S. Supreme Court put in place new roadblocks for authorities who might want to use the Voting Rights Act. The six to three decision written for the GOP's stolen majority on the court by accused sex offender and judicial activist. Justice Brett Kavanaugh in Brnovich v. DNC gives states new leeway to restrict voting access and will, in fact, complicate the Justice Department's challenge, for example, in the state of Georgia, 
where they are suing the state over their uh, newly passed SB 202 law. Earlier this week, the DOJ's Civil Rights Division weighed in with a statement in a separate case that the NAACP had filed in Georgia's uh, uh, against Georgia's law, uh, saying that the Voting Rights Act, in fact, bars efforts to reduce the discomfort of voters waiting hours in line to in uh, hours in lines prevalent in heavily minority precincts on Election Day. That, of course, is a reference to the ban on distributing water and food to those disproportionately minority voters in Georgia who are forced to wait for hours in line to vote. Those, in fact, amount to, quote, sizable burdens, the DOJ brief said, uh, more than a mere inconvenience, as Kavanaugh had downplayed such restrictions in his uh, Brnovich holding. So the DOJ is using what tools they have. Unfortunately, those tools are greatly limited now by these recent Supreme Court decisions. Which is just one of the reasons that new federal laws such as the For the People Act and the John Lewis Voting Rights Advancement Act are so critical at this time. And it's why Democratic state senators from Texas have left the state to deprive the uh, legislature there of a quorum during this special session called by the Republican governor, Greg Abbott, specifically to push through the Lone Star State's own new voter suppression bill, not unlike the one in Georgia. But they can't do it so long as enough Texas senators remain in Washington, D.C., where they are now begging Congress to pass these new laws. Texas State Democratic legislators testified on voting rights in their state before the House Oversight and Reform Subcommittee on Civil Rights on Thursday explaining why they left the state to deny the quorum for the state legislature. House Republicans on the committee spent their hearing time complaining that the hearing was totally unnecessary. It's a distraction from issues that they would prefer to focus on, like, you know, who knows, the outrage of teaching racism in public schools. Some Republicans, as Republicans do, repeated the nonsense about voter fraud, Texas State Democratic uh, Rep. Sanfronia Thompson of Houston. She is 82 years old. She has served 25 years in office and is considered the dean of women legislators in Texas. She served longer in the uh, state legislature than any other woman and any other African-American woman in state history. She was present at the U.S. House hearings on Thursday and directly addressed Republican Texas Congressman Pete Sessions comments as she recounted her and her family's personal experiences with Jim Crow voter suppression laws in the Lone Star State. Mr. Chairman, uh, I was sitting there listening uh, to the comments, opening statements that was made, and I had to take a step back and kind of look at the history that I have been able to perceive in Texas, but it is very difficult for me to look at the history or the progress that maybe African-Americans may have made in this country without looking back at the struggles that we have gone through and the struggles that we keep going through. I can understand uh, the position of some of the person who has spoke earlier because they have been a part of the privileged society that I have never been a part of. What I, I have been concerned about listening to them 
It's their inability to be able to stand in other people's shoes and recognize that the rights that they take for granted to vote in this country, even though we're Americans, we don't all share those same rights. I, I just want to just digress a minute, if I can. Uh, I'm in my 25th session of the legislature, and I have been privileged to represent persons uh, in my district. And one of the members said, well, uh, you shouldn't be here. You should be back in Texas uh, uh, doing this and doing that and those sort of things. And, and I listened uh, carefully. I'm here because this is the seat of democracy. And my people who I represent has a right to be able to vote on a bridge, just like all of you. You may not want to recognize it, but we suppose they have those rights. That's, that's why I'm here. I'm here fighting for them, and I have the right to fight for them. And someday I'm hoping that I don't have to keep fighting this fight, and my grandchildren and my grandchildren's children will not have to keep repeating these struggles. I was born in Texas, and I can tell you just from my testimony as a child, my grandmother used to work and earn $2 a week working for the privilege. And out of those $2 a week, she used to save pennies and nickels to be able to buy a poll tax. The poll tax, as you know, was created uh, to give people uh, an opportunity to invest in public education support. But if you were white, the grandfather clause took care of you. You didn't have to pay the poll taxes. But my grandmother was African American and she had to pay those poll taxes. And to pay a dollar and 25 cents, it was difficult to save money. My grandfather couldn't afford to buy poll taxes because they both couldn't afford to have poll taxes. It was cost, too costly. She had to ride a bus to get to the poll tax, a place for colored people to go and vote. And it wasn't a short distance, and transportation was certainly not accessible as it is today. I can tell you, when I first voted, 60-some years ago, I had to buy a poll tax. And they did not exempt me as they did others. And Texas has had a poll tax, and we did not get rid of our poll tax until 1966, even though the law had been passed. I could not vote. My grandmother could not vote in the primary, Chairman Raskin. And you want to know why? Because she was black, and primaries was for white only. And it was not until Smith versus Allred, a case in Texas, tried and won by Thurgood Marshall that gave African-Americans a right to have a say in their primary democracy. We're not talking about just something that you can go to the store and, and, and use for a little while and toss aside because you've gotten tired of it. We're talking about something that, that makes and breaks this country when we're talking about the democracy to vote. You, you're damn right I left Texas. And I'm glad I did. And you know why, Pete, I left them? I left Texas to give my people a right to be able to vote without them being infringed upon. I had a, a chance to vote during 2010 and 2012. When poll watchers came to my precinct where I vote personally, let me tell you the chilling effect of that. They had people 
Chairman Rashton, it looked like they was from the Proud Boys. Walking, looking, look at you, like that, like you were in the wrong place. In a minority area, that has a chilling effect. That chilling effect is depression of, 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 of voting. I don't know what you call intimidation, but you can, intimidation by any other name is still intimidation. It's intimidating, and the word gets out that these people are at your polls looking at you like they want to arrest you, keep you from voting. And people, as a result of that, do not go and cast their vote. I am the voice of my constituents. And if I had to walk to Washington, D.C. to get you to hear what I had to say to fight for my constituents, I use any means necessary to get my point over. I meet with anyone that they allow me to talk to them about preserving and protecting the rights of my constituents to be able to have a say in their democracy. The governor own Secretary of State said this, 2020 elections, was the most transparent and secure elections. Now, she, does, she is not there anymore, but that was his Secretary of State. 82-year-old Texas State Rep. Sanfronio Thompson speaking before the House Oversight and Reform Subcommittee in the U.S. House on Thursday. That's why we fight. This is the Bradcast. Hey, this is Brad. Please consider supporting whichever progressive media outlet is serving you. Most, just like us, do not receive corporate or political support. We all need your support to counter the powerful corporate media echo chamber. From Desi Doyen and myself, thank you. Welcome back to the Bradcast. Brad Friedman from bradblog.com. I had uh, actually hoped to cover what happened on Wednesday with the vote to proceed in the U.S. Senate on a landmark bipartisan $1 trillion infrastructure bill that I know Desi Doyen will speak about a little bit yep. in, uh, in her upcoming Green News report and about the $3.5 trillion, trillion dollar Democrats-only bill set to hopefully go with it. There are some interesting politics to say the least in play there in what could if it all somehow gets through congress be the largest and most historic investment in infrastructure jobs health care education and families since fdr's new deal that remains a big if however and i hope to explain why in the coming days if time allows but shortly before airtime the president spoke about new initiatives to get americans vaccinated and i think it is important to cover them i'll start here however fueled by vaccinations and government aid according to ap this morning the u.s economy grew at a solid 6.5 percent annual rate last quarter in another sign that the nation has achieved a sustained recovery from the pandemic recession the total size of the economy has now surpassed its pre-pandemic level. 
Thursday's report from the Commerce Department estimated that the nation's gross domestic product, that's the total output of goods and services, accelerated in the April to June quarter from an already robust 6.3 annual growth rate in the first quarter of the year. Consumer spending, the main fuel of the U.S. economy, was robust as well last quarter. It advanced at an 11.8 annualized rate. For all of 2021, the economy is expected to expand perhaps as much as 7%. If so, if so, that would be the strongest calendar year growth since 1984. And it would mark a sharp reversal from last year's 3.4% economic contraction, which was the worst in 74 years. That, of course, is a result of the pandemic. Nonetheless, overhanging the rosy economic forecast is the possibility of a resurgent coronavirus in the form of the highly contagious Delta variant. The U.S. is now averaging more than 60,000 confirmed new cases a day. That's up from about 12,000 one month ago, from 12,000 a day to 60,000 in just one month. Should a surge in viral infections cause many consumers to hunker down yet again and pull back on spending, that, of course, would weaken the recovery. For now, however, the economy is showing sustained growth. Last month, American uh, employers added 850,000 jobs. That's well above the average of the previous three months, and average hourly pay rose a solid 3.6 compared with a year earlier. Average hourly pay is rising faster than the pre-pandemic annual pace. But again, this is all now at risk as the highly transmissible Delta variant we've been talking about for the past week or two continues to spike around much of the country. That led to President Biden's remarks today at the White House announcing several new initiatives, including a mandate for federal workers to either be vaccinated or face regular testing and other restrictions, and even to start handing out money to the unvaccinated in order to get them vaccinated as quickly as possible. Here was the president on Thursday. Today I want to talk to you about COVID-19. Maybe the best way to start is in a significant part of the country, you wouldn't have to take one of these off. You don't have to put one on. Like in my home state of Delaware, where I live in Newcastle County, where I was yesterday in Pennsylvania, because people got vaccinated. They got vaccinated. They don't need a mask when the majority, the vast majority of people got vaccinated. Look, I want to talk about what's really happening, what it means, what it doesn't mean. And what we need to do this week and the months ahead. From the moment I was elected, I said I'd always give it to you straight from the shoulder. And we need some straight talk right now. Because there's a lot of fear and misinformation in the country. And we need to cut through it with facts, with science, with the truth. So, what's really happening today? After months and months of cases going down, We're seeing a spike in COVID cases. They're going up. Why? Because of this new form, this new variant called the Delta variant. This is a much different variant than the one we dealt with previously. It's highly transmissible and it's causing a new wave of cases and those are not vaccinated. Our experts tell me that cases will go up further before they start to come back down. But while cases are on the rise, 
They're not, we're not likely to see, according to experts, a comparable rise in hospitalizations or deaths in most areas of the country. So you have to ask yourself, why is that? <clears throat> because 164 million Americans are fully vaccinated, including 80% of the most vulnerable, our seniors. So there's a challenge, as you knew there could be. But there's also good news. We've spent the last six months preparing for this possibility. The vaccines are highly effective. We have enough vaccine to, for everyone to get vaccinated. And thanks to the American Rescue Plan <clears throat> and the hard work of the American people, we've administered over 325 million vaccinations doses in the past six months. We have the tools to prevent this new wave of COVID from shutting down our businesses, our schools, our society, as we saw happen last year. I've said from the beginning that we will be guided by the science. So here's what the science tells us. On Tuesday, the Center for Disease Control and Prevention, <clears throat> the CDC, announced its new mask recommendation in parts of the country where COVID cases are substantially high, where people didn't get vaccinated, which they define as 50 new cases for every 100,000 people in a week. The CDC recommends you wear a mask when you're in public and indoors, like work or in a grocery store. That's true for both the vaccinated and the unvaccinated. Why? Because even if you've been fully vaccinated, and protect it from severe illness from COVID-19, you could have the Delta variant in your system and spread it to someone who isn't vaccinated. We need to wear a mask to protect each other and to stop the rapid spread of this virus as we work to get more people vaccinated. And I hope all Americans who live in areas with substantial or high case rates will follow the mask guidance that's being laid down by the CDC. I certainly will, and I have, because this is one of those areas in Washington. And at my decision, in my direction, all federal personnel and visitors to federal buildings will have to do the same thing. As I said from the beginning, a mask is not a political statement. It's about protecting yourself and protecting others. Masking is one defense against the spread of COVID-19. But make no mistake, vaccines are the best defense against you getting severely ill from COVID-19. The very best defense. And you want to know how we put this virus behind us? Well, I'll tell you how. We need to get more people vaccinated. Look, and it's important to understand what vaccines do and what they don't do. Put simply, the vaccines are designed to save lives and prevent severe illness. They're highly effective at both. 190 million Americans have had at least one shot. Of that group, about 90% are done now, and 10% are waiting for the second shot. To those folks who have one shot, but not the second, go get the second shot. Even if you're overdue for the second shot, it's not too late. Go get the second shot now, now. The bottom line is if you're fully vaccinated, 
you're highly protected from COVID-19. But I also know that many of you who are vaccinated are concerned about what's called breakthrough cases. Yes, some fully vaccinated people will still test positive, and some will show some symptoms of COVID-19. That's expected with almost every vaccine there is for other diseases. But breakthrough cases remain rare, and almost all are mild cases. In fact, virtually all hospitalizations and deaths are among the unvaccinated. I also know many of you are wondering if you need a booster shot to add another layer of protection. As of now, my medical advisors say the answer is no. No American needs a booster now. But if the science tells us there's a need for boosters, then that's something we'll do. And we have purchased the supply, all the supply we need to be ready if that was called for. Folks, the truth is, as more people get vaccinated, we are better protected as a nation to continue reopening safely and responsibly. We are not fully out of the woods yet, because what is happening in America right now is a pandemic, a pandemic of the unvaccinated. Let me say that again. It's a pandemic of the unvaccinated. There are about 90 million Americans who are eligible to get the shot, but haven't gotten it yet. As I just mentioned, nearly all of the cases, hospitalizations and deaths due to COVID-19 today are from unvaccinated people. Last month, a study showed that over 99% of COVID-19 deaths have been among the unvaccinated, 99%. This is American tragedy. People are dying and will die who don't have to die. If you're out there unvaccinated, you don't have to die. Read the news. And you'll see stories about unvaccinated patients in hospitals. As they're lying in bed, dying from COVID-19, they're asking, Doc, can I get the vaccine? And the doctors have to say, sorry, it's too late. Right now, too many people are dying or watching someone they love dying and saying, if I just got vaccinated, if I just, it's heartbreaking. And it's complicated even more because it's preventable. America's divided between the majority of eligible people who are vaccinated and those who are not. And I understand that many of you in the majority are frustrated with the consequences of the failure of the minority to get vaccinated. But I want you to know that I'm going to continue to do everything I can to encourage the unvaccinated to get vaccinated. That includes addressing hesitancy and misinformation head on. For example, I know some of you who are unvaccinated think the development of the vaccine was rushed, therefore I'm not going to take a chance. As a result, I think it's not safe because it was rushed. I understand. But let me explain. Our top scientists, the National Institute of Health, the NIH, and across the country, got to work applying decades of research. Decades of research. I'm going to repeat that. Decades that had already been done, the research, to develop the COVID-19 vaccine when it hit. In the last six months, more than 3 
125 million doses of the vaccine have been administered in the United States and billions of doses administered around the world. The vaccine was developed and authorized under a Republican administration and it's been distributed and administered under a Democratic administration. The vaccines are safe, highly effective. There's nothing political about them. Look at all the people who took a shot at it. They later, we learned a lot of them are already been vaccinated. From the start, I have to compliment Republican Senate Minority Leader Mitch McConnell. He had made it political. He's encouraged people to get vaccinated and continuing to do so. And his state's in pretty good shape. Alabama Republican Governor Kay Ivey recently spoke out to encourage vaccination. And even the commentators on facts who have been belittling this for a long time, some haven't, but many have, are arguing get vaccinated. Look, this is not about red states and blue states. It's literally about life and death. It's about life and death. That's what it's about. You know, and I know people talk about freedom. But I learned growing up in school and from my parents, with freedom comes responsibility. Your decision to be unvaccinated impacts someone else. Unvaccinated people spread the virus. They get sick and fill up our hospitals. And that means if someone else has a heart attack or breaks a hip, there may not be a hospital bed for them. If you're unvaccinated, you put your doctor and nurses at risk. The same frontline essential workers who put their lives on the line over the past year and have gone through hell. Again, with freedom comes responsibility. So please, exercise responsible judgment. Get vaccinated for yourself, for the people you love, for your country. I'm being literal when I say this. As I travel the world almost every day, a foreign leader calls me asking, can I provide his or her country more vaccines? Their people are desperate for vaccines. I'm doing everything to answer those calls. We're sending millions of vaccines to people around the world. But folks, it's an American blessing that we have vaccines for each and every American. We've made it our first and top priority to have available vaccines for every eligible American. And that's never going to change as long as I'm here. And it's a shame. It's just a, such a shame to squander that blessing. That's why after six months of extraordinary work and effort, today I'm laying out additional steps we should be taking to deliver these life-saving vaccines to more Americans. The president went on to announce that all federal employees must attest to being vaccinated against COVID-19 or face strict protocols, including regular testing, masking, limits on official travel and other mitigation measures. Contractors working for the federal government as well will also be subject to these new rules. He will also call on states to use funds from the COVID-19 relief package that passed earlier this year to provide $100 payments to newly vaccinated people. 
That's an incentive the administration says has worked in other settings and could draw in more people. He noted that, well, that may be unfair to some people who already got vaccinated, but says he doesn't care. The most important thing right now is to get everyone vaccinated. He and, also and yeah, to save lives and to save lives. Uh, he also asked school districts to host pop up vaccination clinics. And he expanded his promise on reimbursing businesses to give all employees time off to get the shots and to recover from them as needed, uh, to also include employees' time for taking their family members to get the shots, vowing that it will not cost either the employees or the employers anything. They will be reimbursed in full. And finally, he directed the Pentagon to take steps towards adding the COVID vaccination to its already existing list of required shots for troops, a step that military leaders have been reluctant so far to take, at least until the FDA gives full approval for the vaccinations, which are now being administered under emergency authorization. That was the president today at the White House. More science-based reality and necessities are straight ahead on the broadcast in our Green News Report. I'm Brad Friedman. Welcome back to the Bradcast. Desi Doy, uh, d- another <laughs> another tough day here on the Bradcast. No doubt you'll cheer us up, as you always do. Well, I try. In the, in the Green News Report. Actually, there is a bit of good news, so let's get to it. Our latest Green News Report. President Biden welcomes the agreement as one that would show the United States can do big things. One trillion dollar bipartisan infrastructure bill inches forward in divided Senate. Dead fish everywhere. Florida Gulf Coast hit with massive red tide. Plus, we must do better. Oregon moves ahead with historic clean energy legislation. All of that history in the making and more straight ahead. From bradblog.com, I'm Brad Friedman. And I'm Desi Doyan. Stand by for six minutes of independent green news, politics, analysis, and snarky comment. The Department of Energy has a sensor array computer analysis capability that can detect in real time the lightning strikes that might set off a blaze. We have lightning sensor rays? That's awesome. Do we by any chance have anything that can stop climate change? Because I switched to paper straws a year ago and I don't think they're working. This is your Green News Report. Okay, Desi Doyen, big news I know for you when it comes to infrastructure, which you've been talking about for many, many years. Maybe (laughs) it'll now actually happen. Maybe. Maybe. A bipartisan infrastructure deal passed a key procedural hurdle to begin debate in the U.S. Senate. The nearly $1 trillion plan includes $550 billion in new spending over 10 years to improve the nation's aging infrastructure, including significant spending to repair water systems, modernize the electricity, grid and build out the first ever national electric vehicle charging network. 
If the bill ultimately passes, and that is a very big if, it would be one of the most significant long-term investments in nearly a century. On the Senate floor on Wednesday, Senate Majority Leader Chuck Schumer vowed to pass both this bill and President Biden's much broader $3.5 trillion budget reconciliation package. Yeah, the one with all the climate change stuff in it. I have laid out a two-track strategy on infrastructure, a bipartisan bill, focused on traditional brick-and-mortar infrastructure projects and a budget reconciliation bill where Democrats plan to make historic investments in American jobs, American families, and efforts to fight climate change. Politico reports that former President Donald Trump is trying to sabotage the bipartisan deal because Republicans never gave him an infrastructure package. Because he never actually tried. Meanwhile, 17 states are under some kind of heat watch or warning, with 30 million Americans likely to see triple-digit temperatures due to the fifth heat dome in just six weeks to stall over the country. Some towns in Montana and Wyoming have seen more days above 100 degrees Fahrenheit so far this year than Dallas, Texas. Mm. A new study from Climate Central confirms that since 1970, more than 90 percent of U.S. cities have seen a big increase in the number of days above 77 degrees Fahrenheit. The researchers remind dog owners that temperatures above 77 degrees also mean pavement surfaces in direct sunlight can get as hot as 125 degrees, creating painful and even dangerous conditions for dogs' paws. They also warn that dogs can experience heat-related illnesses just like people. The observed increase in extreme weather events like heat waves is also reducing the reliability of nuclear power plants. A comprehensive new global analysis of the world's nuclear fleet calculates that extreme weather outages at nuclear plants are occurring nearly eight times more frequently now than in the 1990s, due in part to heat and drought that limit the availability of cold enough water to cool the reactors. Yeah, the heat warms the rivers, the lakes, whatever they're using, and that water is not cool enough to keep the nuclear power plant cool. Kind of a problem. Yeah. The study also found that hurricanes and typhoons are now a leading cause of nuclear plant outages. That's chilling. Florida is grappling with a massive toxic algae bloom that has littered Tampa Bay and about 100 miles of the state's Gulf Coast with dead fish and other marine animals. Red tides naturally occur off the coast of Florida, but scientists say they're now getting bigger, more frequent, and much worse because of pollution and warming ocean temperatures due to man-made climate change. And don't they normally come later in the year than this one is coming now? Yes, they do. Finally, some good news. Oregon's Democratic Governor Kate Brown signed into law one of the nation's most ambitious renewable energy plans. Among a number of strong provisions, it tightens the timetable for the state's two major power companies to reach emissions-free electricity and bans the construction and expansion of fossil fuel power plants. It also allocates $50 million in in grants for community-based clean energy projects. Governor Kate Brown emphasized environmental justice in a signing ceremony on Tuesday. The impacts of climate change are not felt equally. In every crisis and every natural disaster, those who already face disparities due to discrimination and racism are hit the hardest. We must do better. Good. Glad to see action happening at the state level while D.C. dithers. For much more on all of these stories and the ones we couldn't get to today, check out our website at greennews.bradblog.com. 
I'm Brad Friedman. And I'm Desi Doyan. And this has been your Green News Report. We can make it better if we work together. Can we? <laughs> we can. It's kind of how it works. I mean, can we work together oh. at this point? I'm not <laughs> well, sure. Well, I think that there's a sizable majority of Americans who do want to work together. And if those people all get involved and engaged and pressure their public representatives, then, yeah, I think I think there's a way forward. And I will say that if if they can thread this needle on this infrastructure package, the bipartisan one and the much larger Democratic only one. Mm hmm. There is some huge spending. I don't want to just say spending, but some huge programs that are in the works for climate change that are so long overdue and that are so much needed. Oh, they're totally necessary. Uh, yeah. And I mean, of course, they're not going to answer the, the full call of what we all need to do. But I, I, I don't know that people fully yet understand. And of course, that's understandable because we don't yet know what all is in the package. But I think we don't yet appreciate how much will be done on climate change and climate mitigation and, you know, the, the electric grid, the electric vehicles, hardening our infrastructure of climate change um, in this landmark package if they can get it passed. Yes. If they can get both of them passed. It will be a huge, huge achievement for Joe Biden. And for America, I have to say. And for America. The task is huge. And for the us. planet. Yes. And for the planet yes. when it comes to cl climate change, of course, uh, but when it comes to the technology that will be developed and will be made more inexpensive for the rest of the world. The jobs boom. We are on the brink of something huge if we can get to it. We'll see. Yep. Big ifs as always. But uh, at least uh, there's something encouraging out there. So we'll leave you with that note today. My thanks as ever to my producer, Desi Doyen. Thank you very much. Mm -hmm. And to all of you for spending a portion of your day or night with us. If you missed any portion of today's program or any other, you can download all of them for free anytime at bradblog.com, all of which is made possible by those of you who stop by bradblog.com slash donate to allow us to continue our work here on your public airwaves without fear or favor or funding from, you know, big corporations and political groups and so forth. Drop me email if you like. I am bradcast at bradblog.com. On the Facebooks and the Twitters, I am simply the Brad Blog. That is it. Uh, we will see you there. Until we see you here next time, I'm Brad Friedman. Good luck, world. We may be running short on time to change the world to make it better we can make it better if we work together.